Hey everyone, welcome back to Sprouting Minds. Let's get into today's guest. We have Bernie Wagonblast joining us, and she is a transportation journalist. She is the host of Transportation Radio, which she owns. And you might not know her by name, but if you live in New York City or you've taken the New York City trains, well, guess what? Bernie does the voice for the New York City subways. I'm so excited to have her on, and I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. As always, you can find more information in the show notes. And if you want to stay updated as to when new episodes of Sprouting Minds air, just make sure to hit that follow button and you'll get notified. Good morning, Andy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. You hearing me okay? Hearing you loud and clear. (laughs) So I feel like I've heard this voice before because I was on the subway maybe a few weeks ago. It was in June. And all of a sudden, it was telling me that I was getting to Penn Station, and the voice sounded very different than what I grew up listening to, because I'm from New York. And I was like, huh, that's interesting, and then (laughs) forgot about it. And then I brought my cousin to his tennis class one day, and on the news popped up the voice that I've been listening to, and this new voice, and that's how (laughs) I discovered you after hearing your voice my entire life. <laughs> so yeah, I was actually just in the city yesterday and first time I've been in the subway for a month or two and was listening to it. <laughs> so I don't know if my listeners know who you are. Your name is Bernie Wagonblast. Mm-hmm. And growing up in New York, people have heard your voice many, many times that they're taking the subway. And I, so you are in your 60s, and you transitioned to be a woman full-time, which was Mm -hmm. what you wanted to do because that is who you felt comfortable with and who you knew that that was who you were. But that story goes back many, many years, not just this past June where I feel like your story finally got the recognition. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm curious if we can go back in time a little bit. I read that when you were around four years old, That's when you first realized that maybe you didn't identify as a boy, which is who you were born as. Right, right. Yeah, I, for me, it was very clear from my earliest memories. And the way I would have phrased it, because remember, when I was four years old, it was 1960. So the word transgender had not even been been invented yet. Right. And of course, as a four-year-old, I wouldn't have known it even if it had been invented. But it was very clear to me that, and the way I would have phrased it in my four-year-old vocabulary is, I wish I was a girl. And that feeling never left. It may have gone up and down a little in terms of its intensity, but it was always there. It was something that never was a question in my mind. Wow. And so growing up during those times where, yeah, as you said, transgender wasn't really a thing in the world. And then if people knew about it, there was a stigma against it because that's not who you were, quote unquote, born as. Right. And so growing up feeling that way, how, how did you do it? <laughs> I think it did, I did it a few different ways. Um, I think one of the big ways for me was to find other things that I could throw myself into, so to speak, and get excited about. And for me, that was radio. That was something I was very interested in. And again, 
you have to remember radio in the 1960s is a lot different than it is in 2023. And, you know, back then, AM radio stations, they played music and, and news and, and such. And they were the big thing. It was a big form of entertainment. We didn't have satellite radio. We didn't have, obviously, the Internet or Spotify or Pandora, any of those things. So if you wanted to listen to music and get news, you listen to the radio. And I just kind of fell in love with that and really threw myself into it. From about fifth grade on, I knew that that was what I wanted to do. And I specifically wanted to do news. So I would take time when I was a kid and I would open up the newspaper and just read it out loud so I could try to perfect my voice. Not just how it sounded, but in terms of being able to read without stumbling, being able to be expressive with my voice, all those things that you needed to do. And that was what I threw myself into. And I would listen to the radio, write down different things about it. I would go to the library and try to find books about radio, look up encyclopedia articles. I'm really dating myself here with all this, but (laughs) I would just try to learn as much as I can. And I think things like that helped me to cope with what I thought was always going to be a secret and was always going to be something that I would have to live with and never get to experience. Wow. And what do you think it was about the news in particular? Because, you know, you could have done sports. There's so many different aspects of the news. What was it about the news that you were looking at that really drew you to it? I think a few different things. For one, I wasn't into sports that much outside of maybe Mets baseball. That was about the only sports I was really into. Um, And music, I enjoyed it, but I wasn't into it like a lot of my friends were into it. News, I always thought was kind of exciting. You'd get to go to a lot of interesting places, meet lots of interesting people, do things that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to do in life. So that was what I think why I found interesting. Plus, there was another aspect. I think I was always drawn to the community service aspect. To me, that was one of the best ways you could serve your community by letting them know what was going on in their town, telling them about what the city council was doing or the Board of Education and things like that. Wow. And so something that I've been thinking about leading up to this interview is puberty. and. In middle school, as a female, I started going through puberty and all of my acquaintances were. And it was a time where I was like, what in the world is happening to my body? I was so unhappy and so like I became a shell of myself. And then you have the other girls who are like so excited. Things are happening. They're really happy. And so living as a male during that time, how did you I I don't even know if it even like phased you at all. But were there any moments of your life during puberty that you were, I don't know, maybe thinking, boy, I wish I was like going through those stages? Or was it not even like a thought in your mind at that point? I was certainly jealous of what the girls were going through, knowing that I could not be going through that. But again, at the same time, that was just the way things were. And so I had to make the best of it. So the one part of puberty that I, kind of enjoyed was the fact that my voice was getting deeper. And given given that I wanted to work in radio, that was good because back then, deeper voices were kind of what they wanted on the radio, what they wanted on the air. 
And so getting a deeper voice as opposed to this cracking voice that, you know, 13-year-old boys tend to have was good for me. Yeah. Um, and I also remember getting a little bit taller. I'm I'm 5'10", so I'm not terribly tall for a woman. I'm I'm certainly at the upper limits for the average woman, but it's not like I'm 6'3", or something like that. Right. And I kind of enjoyed getting a little bit taller, um, you know. But on the other hand, again, I wasn't into a lot of the other things that boys my age were interested in. I wasn't into sports, either playing or watching. I wasn't into a lot of the roughhousing that boys did. At the same time, I also want to say I wasn't really effeminate. It wasn't like I wanted to play with dolls and do things like that. I just was kind of the the way I, I think the best way I described it, because I was talking to some high school classmates recently. And if my high school had been a sitcom, I would have just been one of the extras that you see walking through the hallways, never having a line to speak, not one of the people that's a star. And that was kind of what my school experience was like. I was just one of the extras that you saw walking through the hallway and didn't pay much attention to. I love that analogy. I have never been able to pinpoint like people ask me what what was your middle school experience like high school and I always say like oh I didn't like either one of them because I just I didn't have that core group. I kind of just fluctuated between people. But as you're saying like in a sitcom I would be that extra that's just like in by the locker or like running around in the back of the gym class and it's and there's nothing wrong with that but it's a really nice way for people now to like pinpoint their experience <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's true and there's nothing wrong with that and so so understanding that too in high school were there any other like did you have to deal with like hiding who you really were at any point because as you're saying like you weren't really into like the dolls and like the quote unquote feminine lifestyle and neither was I but you know we all still go through that weird phase of like who am I and how do I fit into this crazy world that I'm living in? There were a few things. I think by high school, I, again, just had kind of accepted that things weren't going to change. But a little bit younger, um, we didn't have middle school. We had junior high back then. Yeah. And my junior high was grades 7 through 10. And when you moved from elementary school into junior high, it was a much different experience because elementary school, you stay with the same classmates all day. You don't go anywhere. You're you're in the classroom other than places like gym or art or something like that. But now here I am in junior high as a seventh grader, and you're walking the halls in between classes, different periods and things like that. And I remember as a seventh grader that I figured, well, maybe I can start to experience a little bit of what it's like to be a girl. And Boys typically carry their their books like this by their side, you know, next to their hip. Whereas girls, at least back then, before there were backpacks and everything that we have in schools now, would carry their books like this next to their chest. And I tried that a couple of days and very quickly discovered that that was not acceptable. I got bullied and pushed around. So again, I just reverted to being that extra in the background and try to blend in and not be seen. And that was pretty much what what it was like. Um, But again, as I got older, I became a little more 
investigative about trying to learn about myself and what I was going through. And there was a story in the newspapers about a teacher in a nearby town who had transitioned over the summer. And she was teaching elementary school. She was teaching music. And I went to the library, looked up her phone number in the phone book, her address, and I sent her a letter. And I think just basically introduced myself, said, you know, I feel much the same way that, that you do. And we made arrangements for her to give me a call at a payphone one evening. This was the summer months, so it was still light out. And I rode my bicycle to this payphone about a half mile from my house. And she and I talked. And we talked, oh, I don't know, maybe 15, 25 minutes, something like that. But it was such an important moment for me because it was the first person that I had ever spoken to that understood some of what I was feeling and knew what it was like to not feel the gender that you were assigned when you were born. And that was wonderful to to just have that experience. But it was a one-time experience. And in the meantime, I, you know, would go to the library. They had something that came out four times a year called the Reader's Guide to Periodic Literature. And what that basically was, was an index of magazine articles that came out during the past three months. And every time a new one of those would come out, I would go to my local library and look up to see if there were any articles. And what they would be categorized under in those days was sex change. That was how they were categorized. So I would see, are there any articles about sex change? And if there were, I would hope that my local library happened to subscribe to that particular magazine and that it was somewhere in the stacks and I would read it and try to learn. There were very few resources. Um, There were very few books that were available. There were very few articles that were available. And those that were tended to be more sensationalized because it was so unusual for somebody to transition back then. So the information really wasn't available. It wasn't until the internet came along that this explosion of information, both good and bad, became available. Yeah. And and so fast forwarding a little, you meet a woman and you are dating, presumably, and this is the person that you decide, I'm going to marry this person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how did you guys navigate that? Because were you feeling like, okay, this is something that's going to be a marriage, I need to be open? Or were you still kind of afraid to like, say, this is who I really am? And is this person going to accept me for that? A little bit of both. Um, We had a relatively short courtship, if you want to call it that. We met at the end of August, and we were engaged on Halloween. So just a couple of months of dating. But it was clear to me that I was going to ask her to marry me. And I felt that if I was going to ask her to marry me, I needed to share this part of me. Um, When I was in college, I dated one girl, and I did tell her about this part of me, and our relationship quickly ended as a result. So I was afraid. I was terrified that when I shared this with her, she would say, well, thank you for, for sharing that, but I just, I can't deal with that. So we were on a picnic at Liberty State Park in Jersey City, New Jersey, and I broke down in tears, 
probably the most difficult conversation I've ever had in my life, telling her about myself and how I had always felt this way. But what I had also said was, again, I did not anticipate ever acting upon it, that I was going to be a guy for the rest of my life. And she was wonderful. She was very accepting, I think, with the understanding that I was not going to transition and said that we'll we'll get through this together. And indeed, we did. We were married just, a, again, a relatively short time after that on the 4th of July. You're hearing a, a holiday theme here. <laughs> and so we were married less than a year after we first met. And we had a and still have technically have had a very long marriage. Um, we were separated now, but we have been married for over forty years. It's and I, I can't imagine you know telling someone who you really are and who you felt you were for your pretty much your entire life, and it it must have been so scary and such a vulnerable moment, but also such an impactful time for you to finally be able to like voice out loud like this is who I am and this is who I identify as and mm -hmm. now seeing who you are now like you finally are who you've always wanted to be and I'm curious because you said that at you weren't necessarily going to act on the transitional aspect what what shifted in your your life I think the First of all, again, it never went away. And just to give you a sense of how pervasive this feeling was, there was probably not a waking hour of my life from childhood through transition where I did not think about this at least a little bit during every hour. That's how pervasive it was. And I think what had changed for me in part was something that probably would seem very innocent. There was a new app that came out around 2017 called FaceApp. Mm -hmm. And I had been seeing, the way I became aware of it was online, seeing people were taking pictures of NFL quarterbacks and showing what they would look like as women. And you know, I played around with other things before that could supposedly show you what you would look like as the opposite gender, but it was always terrible it didn't didn't look realistic or anything so i figured oh this is going to be the same but let's give it a shot and just see what it does so i t i loaded up a picture of myself and when i saw the result i saw a couple of things first of all i saw what i felt was a realistic expectation of what i might really look like as a woman and i saw a resemblance to my mom, which people had told me about before, you know, you say, oh, you look more like your mother, you look more like your father. And I couldn't see that at all with either one of my parents. But when I saw this female representation of what I would quote unquote look like on this app, it showed me for the first time that, well, maybe this is, is possible. And that really kind of started the ball rolling for me. And I started a series of very gradual and deliberate steps to see 
what I could do to try to lessen the discomfort that I was feeling, the dysphoria that I was feeling. Mm -hmm. And I would do each step and try to evaluate, okay, is this enough? Is this enough to make me feel good? Do I need to do more? And each time the answer was, it feels good, but it's not enough. I need to do more. And I was able to pretty much do all of these things under the radar. They weren't visible to anyone else because they weren't making any real changes to who I what I looked like. Right. And it was only in the past year or so that it got to the point where now we have to act on changing the outside, not just the inside. Wow. And so you had voiced the subway at with a male voice for years. Mm-hmm. And what made you transition? I guess also because your voice is transitioning. Was that like the the turning point where you're like, okay, now I'm going to start doing it with work too. And does that, does the MTA and all those connect with that or are they separate? Um, I still use my guy voice professionally. So you won't hear the female voice on any of the subway announcements or any of the other places where I make announcements or on my professional podcasts that I do. I, I still use the guy voice because I feel that voice sounds better. It's one that in some ways I'm more comfortable using. This voice is still a work in progress. It is probably one of the most difficult things for an older trans woman to change. You know, you can do a lot of things with wigs and hair and makeup and hormones and all kinds of other things. But if you're going from male to female, hormones don't help at all with the voice. You have to learn how to use the muscles in your throat differently, how to take your voice, which in my case was very much a a chest resonance, which was good for what I was doing, to more of a head resonance and how you used your mouth and your tongue. And not just the pitch. It's not just going up in pitch. It's a lot of different elements that all work together. And so I still use that guy voice, as I call it, professionally, but I'm trying to continue to improve this voice to the point where maybe someday I could use this professionally. I don't know if I'll ever get there, but at least it's it's something that I'm striving toward. Yeah. And it you know, it's all very fascinating and as long as you feel comfortable, that's the most important part. So whether you're using the guy voice for different aspects of your life, as long as you personally feel good and as who you are, like that's all that matters. So it's 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 really interesting and I'm curious if your mental health was affected in any way during this and you know how you got yourself through those obstacles if it was mm-hmm. I would say it was it was the process of trying out different steps in transitioning that really helped my mental health because I could say to myself I am taking steps I am making progress it maybe wasn't as fast as I would have liked you know I think for most trans people, it's never as fast as we would like. We'd like to just snap our fingers and voila, everything has changed, but it doesn't work like that. So, and some steps are quicker than others. Um, You know, so 
to me, and I think for a lot of trans women, there are three broad areas that involve transition. You know, one is legal, one is medical, and one is social. And you can mix and match, and there's no particular order. You don't have to do any or all to be trans. But for me, you know, for instance, a legal change was changing my name, legal name to Bernie. Now, Bernie is the name I've always gone by. And when I was a kid, you know, I, I thought, oh, Nancy was the name that I would use. I would pick for myself if if I were a girl. I, I asked my mom, you know, what name she would have given me if I had been born a girl. And it was Linda. But Linda didn't particularly resonate with me. But Nancy, I like that. And then as I got a little bit older, I'm thinking, well, maybe something that's kind of close to Bernie. And I picked Becky. That was the name that I I liked. And finally, I decided to to stick with Bernie because Bernie is the name I've always gone by. It's kind of my brand, if you will. My name is unusual. People will often tell me they remember hearing me from years ago because on the radio, when I worked on the radio, because Bernie Wagenblast is an unusual name. People thought I made it up to be funny on the radio, but it was my real name. Um, So I changed my legal name to Bernie. And now I consider it short for Bernadette. And I I like Bernadette as a name. My legal name is not Bernadette, but I consider it Bernie short for that. So Bernie is kind of like Pat or Chris, where it can be either way, male or female. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. And it, and again, like it's it's not necessarily what I think or what society thinks. It's what you think and what works for you as a human. And it sounds like you're living your life the way that you wanted to now. And I I think that that's amazing. And you know, it's unfortunate that just for June, which was Pride Month, like that's when your story kind of hit. But thank God it did, because that's how I discovered you. And I think that, you know, as you're saying, when you reached out to that teacher who transitioned, like, these are the important stories that other adults or young adults, whoever in this world, they need to hear these stories because they might be going through the same thing as you. And maybe it's not exactly the same. Maybe they resonate with you on some level, and they know that you are also a public figure who has a successful podcast. I believe you own trans uh, transportation radio, right? Like that's, yes. that's mm-hmm. yours. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they need someone to look up to and say like, Oh, okay. Maybe I'm not sure if I want to transition right now. Maybe it's something that I do in the future. or Maybe it is something I do now, but they they can pull from your story and resonate with you, which is so important. And I'm curious if, you know, you have just, any piece of advice or something that someone told you at some point that can help someone? Well, I think, I don't know that, well, one piece of advice that I got um, probably around 2015 or so, I went to see a a trans woman speak to uh, a medical conference at Rutgers Newark. And she and I, she had written a book and I, that's how I reached out to her. And and she invited me to this, this conference that she spoke at. And one of the things that she told me at that time was don't transition unless you absolutely have to. And that's not advice I would necessarily give to others. But for me, that was important because I had made a commitment to my wife and I did not want to 
just throw that away. Um, so that was that was very important advice for me. I think other things that I would tell other trans people, whether they're young or old, is to find community, to find people that love you and accept you. In the best circumstances, that's family, people that that you live with that can accept you. Um, if you're young enough, you still have parents around and being able to tell them and if they can be supportive, that is is really critical. But also, people who are cis can't really understand what it's like to be trans. They can be very supportive. They are great allies. But the experience is unique to trans people. So finding other trans people that you can talk to, because as you said, my experience is not going to be the same as every other trans person's experience, but there might be elements of my life that resonate with someone else. So if something that I share resonates with another trans person and they can use that and adapt it to what their circumstances are, that's great. That is a wonderful thing for them to be able to do. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I'm i excited to see what you do with, with your life now. And I, I'm glad that I've discovered you and I can't wait to put this out there because I think that it's you know every story is important to someone and it that's the goal here was to share more stories for other people well thank you I'm taking the subway in a little bit so I will hear your voice again (laughs) (laughs) and now at least I can pinpoint who that is which is kind of a cool like unique experience (laughs) I'll give you a preview The next, downtown, number two, is approaching the station. Please stand away from the platform, Ed. I mean, like, it's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) It's really cool. I I can't thank you enough, and I hope you have an incredible day, and I'm sure we'll stay in touch, and this was just a nice way to start my morning, at least. (laughs) Well, thank you again for having me as, as a guest, Andy, and certainly any way I can ever be helpful please never hesitate to reach out. Oh, I won't. I won't. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Have Alrighty. a great day. <laughs> You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye.